We are in 2 Peter chapter 1 tonight. We'll look at verses 3 through 12. I know we just finished preaching through 2 Peter. Well, it wasn't that long ago, but it was recent, fairly recent. Uh, but I'm preaching a few messages on uh, fruitful Christianity. And uh, this is from a series back in 2010, so 13 years ago. And uh, cherry picking a few of the messages from that by request. I'm calling this series the by request series, right? It beats um, the best of Dave Malinek, right? Dave Malinek's greatest hits right here. I figure if somebody remembers a series I preached 13 years ago, that's saying something right there. So um, anyway, tonight on the fruitfulness assurance, before I read, let me say how glad I am my parents are here with me. I haven't really said anything about that, but uh, there I'm grateful that they came out for Laura's graduation. We've enjoyed a nice time with them, have another day with them, um, but uh, what a blessing they are to me. And uh, their faithfulness is wonderful with family because it's not always this way to share that heritage they passed to me i am doing right now what they taught me and poured a lot into me to do and um and then when we get together we we talk about the lord we talk about what our churches are doing we talk about his word and it's it's like they've always been there and that's a blessing second peter one beginning in verse three And uh, reading through verse 12, will you stand with me as we read this passage together? This, uh, I believe, gives us an assurance of fruitfulness. 2 Peter 1, beginning in verse 3, these are the words of God. According as His divine power hath given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness, through the knowledge of Him that hath called us to glory and virtue, whereby are given unto us, Exceeding great and precious promises that by these ye might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. And beside this, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, and to virtue knowledge, and to knowledge temperance, and to temperance patience, and to patience godliness, and to godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness charity. For if these things be in you and abound, They make you that ye shall neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But he that lacketh these things is blind and cannot see afar off and hath forgotten that he was purged from his old sins. Wherefore the rather, brethren, give diligence to make your calling and election sure. For if ye do these things, ye shall never fall. For so an entrance shall be ministered unto you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Wherefore, I will not be negligent to put you always in remembrance of these things, though you know them, and be established in the present truth. Let's pray. Again, Lord, we come before you uh, as your people. We are hungry to hear a word from you. And tonight I pray that you would open the word to us that we would be assured uh, of your plan to make us fruitful, that we would be confident in that plan, and then that we would do the things that we would be diligent to do the things that you're calling for from us, that we wouldn't sit back passively, 
waiting for you to produce fruit in us, but that we would do our part as you've uh, laid out for us in this passage. I pray that you'd help me, that I could make very clear your plan in these things, uh, that I could explain it, and that we would know what our duty is then as a result. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. Are you ever baffled by the uh, money-back guarantees that you see on, I hate to use the word literally because it's literally one of the most overused words in the English language at this time, but literally everywhere on everything you see money-back guarantees. Satisfaction guaranteed. Uh, I don't know that you can buy anything today that does not have such a guarantee stamped somewhere on the package. For crying out loud, Kleenex has a satisfaction guarantee. Now, what would I need a satisfaction guarantee for with Kleenex? I just use whatever paper I can find when I'm in my car, right? Don't you? You just If it's a piece of paper and you can blow your nose on it, you blow your nose on it, right? And if, if I blow my nose on it and I don't get it all over the car and everyone else in it, satisfaction right there. All right, Kleenex is nice. It's softer. It's, it's gentler on the nostrils, especially if you're doing a lot of nose blowing, right? So when would I ever return the Kleenex? Because this did not wipe my nose well. I am not happy with the way this Kleenex wiped my nose right here. I'm just going to use my shirt sleeves, right? I mean, Kleenex are kind of a disposable shirt sleeve uh, for us. But when I see money-back guarantees on seed packets, that gets me right there. Like, okay, so I'm going to take the seed packet and I'm going to plant it in the ground and I'm going to water it. And then what? If it doesn't give me nice fruit, if I don't like the fruit, what if I'm growing tomatoes and I don't like tomatoes? And after I get the tomatoes and I still don't like them, do I get my money back? Because I am not satisfied with these tomato seeds right here. Obviously, these kinds of guarantees have their limitations, right? They're guaranteeing me something. I'm not exactly sure what they're guaranteeing me. I know that normally... You take a seed packet, right? You plant it in the ground and you don't save the seed packet. Do you? Are you one of those that saves all your paperwork for everything? Okay. All right. Well, there's, I know there's one in every room that has like probably a neat Ziploc bags all filed, stacked on top of each other from the last year, and they empty them out very carefully the following year and then put the new ones in and hold on to those because, you know, the green beans, they might not taste that great when it comes time to eating them. And if it doesn't, I'm taking these seed packets back and getting my money back from whoever, if you can remember who you bought them from. Now, hopefully you buy them all from the same catalog or same place, Or something like that. You know, these guarantees can guarantee me, I guess, that there's tomato seeds. I would want that. If I'm buying, if I want tomatoes and I buy the seeds and it turns out to be Brussels sprouts, I'm upset. 
If it turns out to be, I can guarantee you I've never bought a seed that would grow a Brussels sprout. Ever. I would not. I don't know why you would. What would you do that for? Torture yourself. Just, you know, put it like a whipping post in your backyard and build it for yourself. Tie yourself up to it. Fit, figure out like a machine you can operate with your foot and whip yourself for a while. But don't plant Brussels sprouts for crying out loud. Don't do that. They can promise me that, you know, given the right dirt and soil composition and sunlight and water mixed in with a little know-how and a whole lot of luck, those seeds will sprout and they will grow into a tomato plant. But can they really guarantee that I'm going to get ripe red tomatoes from that, oh, it's really there are a lot of variables that go into growing a tomato. And even if the fruit does ripen, I still might not like the taste of it. And is it the fault of the seed packet if I don't like it? Or is it my fault? These are big, important philosophical questions. We need to answer these kinds of questions, folks, on a Sunday night. Right? I can see you're all with me on this. You know, any product out there might promise me the world, right? But their promises can only go so far. There are limitations. But God has a special guarantee, something you can be absolutely certain of. It didn't cost me, so it's not a money-back guarantee here, but it is a fruitfulness guarantee that God gives. Our text in verse 8 says, For if these things be in you and abound, they make you that ye shall neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. They make you so that ye shall neither be barren nor unfruitful. That's a promise from God. God gives a Christian a fruitfulness pledge and assurance if you will, that you will be fruitful. This should make sense to us. Jesus said, by their fruits, ye shall know them. So Jesus was saying that the mark of genuine conversion is fruitfulness. By their fruits, ye shall know them. If a person claims to be a Christian, but has no fruit to Christianity, then he's a liar, period. So then if God has saved you, you will be fruitful. It is impossible for you to be attached to the, to the, the root, which is Jesus Christ, and not be fruitful. Everything that is attached to Jesus will be fruitful. It's impossible because the life that is in Jesus is a life that cannot be contained. It will overflow, and the overflow In a fruit tree, the overflow is always the fruit. Always. So if you're not fruitful, then we can say with certainty that you are not saved. If you are saved, then you are fruitful. Jesus said it this way in John chapter 15, verse 2. Every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away. And every branch that beareth fruit, he purgeth it, that it may bring forth fruit more fruit. So this is God's assurance to us, his promise 
to us that we will be fruitful or we will be unfruitful. We are saved or we are not saved. There's not a middle ground between the two. Since God does the saving work, God gives the fruitfulness a pledge, assurance. His guarantee is even better than Walmart's. And that's saying something because Walmart has a pretty good Stellar, let's say, stellar money-back guarantee. You can return a lot of stuff, even when the package is damaged. Sometimes you can return it. Lowe's has an incredible... I'm embarrassed for Lowe's, the stuff they take back. Sometimes, I mean, if I'm doing plumbing, I buy way more than what I need because I know I can take it back and it'll save me a trip, although it never manages to save me a trip because no matter how much I buy at Lowe's, there's always that one little elbow that I forgot. But anyway, <clears throat> God's guarantee is much better, much better. His guarantee is that I'll be fruitful, that you'll be fruitful. From our text then, I want you to see the progression that leads to this assurance. We'll consider first the possibility of the alternative. Okay, I want you to pause and consider that there is a possibility that you will not be fruitful. But that possibility is not because you're one of those rare Christians who God has saved but not made fruitful. It's not the case. It is not the case that a person is born again and is not fruitful. That is not possible. But there is still the possibility that we will not be fruitful. After this, we'll consider fruitfulness as a probability then as a reality, a sure possession, and then again as a promise, and then finally as a fruitful promise. Does that sound like a long sermon to you? Okay, we're going to try to like state a business here and get through this. First of all, unfruitfulness is a very real possibility. Verse 9 says, but he that lacketh these things. Notice that. It might sound like I changed my tune, but I have not. Earlier I said that if you're saved, you'll be fruitful. Now, that does not mean that if you have convinced yourself that you are saved, then you'll be fruitful. You may have deceived yourself into believing that you are born again. In that case, you will not be fruitful if you've deceived yourself. Fruitfulness is not promised to the wishful. I might think uh, that, you know, well, let's say it this way. If you get drafted by the NBA, you'll make a lot of money. All right. But that does not mean and that's not the same thing as saying if you think you're a good basketball player, then you'll make a lot of money. All right. You might think you're a great basketball player and NBA scouts might not think so. They might watch you playing on the playground and they might think there's another Joe Blow who thinks he can play basketball. And that's all. And you're not going to make any money from that. There's a big difference between the two. It is the man that God saves by his grace that will not be barren nor unfruitful. That's why Peter challenges us to give diligence to make your calling and election sure in verse 10. Without Christ, you will be barren and unfruitful. You will be without Christ. Now, the word barren literally means not working, idle, not functioning the way it was made to function. We could understand this in an active sense. Some Christians are barren simply because 
They're sedentary. They, they don't do anything. At least they don't do anything as relates to the Christian life. They're like watching the grizzly bear at the zoo. Have you ever done that? You can watch that grizzly bear all day long. Unless you are there at the minute they set his food out, you're not going to see any activity from the grizzly bear. He just sits there. We could also understand this in a mechanical sense. They don't function properly. Their engine is out of gas or there's some mechanical problem that keeps them from working properly. When you see a tomato plant that doesn't grow any tomatoes, that's not a result of inactivity. We don't expect tomatoes, like that's not a highly active section of the garden right there where the tomato plants are. Uh, You don't look for a lot of activity on their part. If the tomato plant doesn't have tomatoes, there is a mechanical problem, if you will. Um, Where I grew up, Clinton, Indiana, uh, we used to go visit. There was a, you may be remember, maybe it's still there because nothing in Clinton, Indiana ever changes at all. But there was an old Korean War era fighter plane. And when I was a little boy, we would go to that plane and we would play on the plane, climb all over that thing. And, you know, there was absolutely no danger that any of us were going to break into the cockpit and make that thing take off. And there's a very good reason why we were never going to be able to do that. It had no engine in it. It was just the shell. That's all. It was the appearance of an airplane. It was the body of an airplane, but it did not have any of the mechanics that make an airplane function the way it's supposed to. In the same sense, some Christians, some who profess to follow Jesus Christ, have no engine, no vital power or energy at work in them, nothing out of which the Holy Spirit could ever possibly turn into fruitfulness. They're barren. They don't work. They don't function the way a Christian was designed to function. The word unfruitful means unproductive or useless. Now, obviously, this barrenness and unfruitfulness are closely related. And Christians need to consider that this is a real possibility. Some people, verse 9 points out, lack these things. The cause of barren unfruitfulness. He that lacketh these things. What are these things? Notice in verse 8, that if these things be in you and abound, they make you that ye shall neither be barren nor unfruitful. And then verse 9, he that lacketh these things is blind. So the these things is referring to the same thing in verse 9 and in verse 8. It's referring to the things before it. We find what these things are in verses 5 and 6 and 7. The progression of faith and virtue and knowledge and temperance and patience and godliness and brotherly kindness and charity. And we can extend it further because these things, notice in verse 5, at the beginning of verse 5, these things are added to besides this. So verse 5a says besides this. So even before these things in verses 5, 6, and 7, 
There is something prior to that. All those things that pertain to life and godliness from verse 3. Through the knowledge of Him, the second part of verse 3. And those exceeding great and precious promises in verse 4. Our partaking of the divine nature in verse 4. Our escaping the corruption that is in the world through lust, verse 4. A lack of these things makes us barren and unfruitful. The reason for barren unfruitfulness, the Bible describes in verse 9, he is blind, nearsighted, and forgetful. When your eyes are set on temporal things, on the things of this world, then you will be barren and unfruitful. When you live for what you find in this life, the satisfaction that you find in this life, the delight that you find in this life alone, when that's what consumes you, consumes your mind, consumes your thoughts, consumes your priorities, then you will be barren and unfruitful. That's what it means there when it says that you're blind. The word blind there has to do with nearsightedness, a focus on the temporal rather than on the eternal. Nearsightedness amounts to really blindness. I mean, I don't want the guy behind me to be extremely nearsighted. You know, Um, I want him to be able to see out past the end of his hood. That's what I'm hoping for out there. That's why, you know, I'm happy that they test you, you know, like test your eyes when you go in to get your license renewed. Make sure that you can still see. I don't want blind drivers coming towards me in the opposing lanes. I, I really like seeing drivers out there. To, so that's what the Bible says. He's blind and cannot see afar off. Now, when you've set your affection on things below, which is a very nearsighted thing to do, then you are forgetful of Christ's work on your behalf. Especially, you're forgetful of the fact that you are purged from your old works. Nearsightedness, temporal mindedness, setting your affection on things below. That's a very old way. That's the old way. Not the new way that God has set you in. But the old way of life, the old priorities of your life. Now consider it well and never, never, never allow yourself to presume on the grace of God. We are commanded to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. So on the one hand, there is an assurance of salvation that God has given us and we are blessed to have. But on the other hand, there is a refusal to presume on God's grace. And the attitude that says, I can live for now, I can live for self, and still be okay, that is a presumptuous attitude right there. So there should be a constant vigilance on our behalf to ensure that we are living the life of a born-again believer, living the life of a saved person. We need to understand that this kind of presumption, presuming on the grace of God, is a thing that accompanies a false profession of faith. For those who have been born from above, however, God makes a, an assurance that you will be fruitful. He promises this. So this is the second thing. By the grace of God, fruitfulness is a probability. As verse 3 says it, 
His divine power hath given unto us all things that pertain to life and godliness. That's that verse is a verse I like to use to describe the grace of God, because the grace of God is not, as I've preached to you before, the grace of God is not some mystical power, um, some you know spiritual juice out there that that you somehow tap into and and get this you know like um, a shot of ether in a race car that gives you a little boost, a little extra fire there. That's not grace. Grace is the the love and power of God freely given to us that supplies us with everything we need for life and godliness. That's the best definition that I can come up with for what God's grace is. It's not just saving grace. Saving grace is the commencement, the launch point of a life of grace, a life lived for God. So he is supplying that grace that he supplies you is good for you. It's not a like a one time provision like it's once for all. And, you know, because like the things that you were given, really great things that you were given when you were a kid probably don't work all that great this right now, at least if you're a little bit older. Uh, it doesn't work all that great over time. It wears out. God doesn't just give you like this one shot of grace that's going to stick with you for all of life, but He is constantly supplying you with grace for every need. He's giving you constantly all those things that are necessary for life and godliness. So I want to show you the stream of fruitfulness as is described in this passage. Fruitfulness begins with the grace of God. The word given. According as his divine power hath given unto us. Given has the same Greek root as the word gift. It it really is a gift. God has gifted it to you. These things have been given, but not the way that wages are given. Wages are given also, but it's not gift. This is gift. These have been gifted to you. This is not merely a Christmas present. It's your inheritance, which... God has given to you immediately access to it. If you are born into a wealthy family, think about this. This is your inheritance. There's a huge a world of difference between someone born into a wealthy home and someone born into poverty. Just in the services that are available, the clothing, the food that he eats, that sets him off to a good, healthy start to life. His teeth are cared for much better, etc., etc., <clears throat> to a certain extent, the wealth of the family is for your benefit. It would be available to you. Everything you need to be successful. Good diet, like I said. Fine clothes, the best doctors and medicine, the best schools that can launch you also into a fruitful, productive, wealth-producing career. Now you notice what in particular has been gifted to you. It's not a great diet. It's not great food. Not great education. What has been gifted to you? The third verse says, all things that pertain to life and godliness. The wealth of the house, right? The wealth of the Father's house is at your disposal so that you can also be rich in good works. All things that pertain to life and godliness. The word pertain is italicized. Do you notice that in verse 3? 
Sometimes that means the word was added for understanding, but in this case, it just means that the word pertain goes beyond the Greek word that is used. The Greek word used is a preposition here, the preposition pros, which normally would be translated for or with reference to. So all things that pertain to, in reference to life and godliness. God has given you all things that are necessary, everything you need for life and godliness. He's already gifted it to you when he made you his own by the blood of Jesus Christ. But that's not all. The divine power is the fountainhead. The stream, though, flows from that fountainhead through the full knowledge of God. Notice at the second half of verse three. <clears throat> Let me turn my page here. Through the knowledge of him that hath called us to glory and virtue. Also the exceeding great and precious promises that are described in verse four. Our part in the divine nature. Verse four in the middle. Our escaping corruption. Verse four at the end. Now any one of these would be worthy of an entire sermon. I simply point out that fruitfulness flows to us through that stream. That is the stream of fruitfulness. We could compare these things to the xylem and phloem I talked about last week. Act like a straw to draw the water up to the leaves and then to draw the nutrients down to the roots and so that the plant itself is being fed. Constant supply up and down a cycle of nutrition for the plant. All of these things are the gifts of God. He gives us all things that pertain to life and godliness. He gives us full knowledge of God through his word. He effectually calls us to glory and virtue. He gives us exceeding great and precious promises. He makes us partakers of the divine nature. He delivers us from the corruption that is in the world through lust. And through all of this, he promises us that we will neither be barren nor unfruitful. But that's not all. That, that right there, verses 3 and 4, that is God's part in this. But God also has a part for you. A, part, a responsibility that falls on you. So you're not just, you know, you're not just sitting on the couch eating all the potato chips that the wealth of the house has provided for you. Playing all the video games that the wealth of the house has supplied you. But you are taking the nutrients, the wealth of the house, and putting it to work for your own advantage. What good is it that mom and dad can afford to give you the best possible education if you don't study your brains out? Right? That's, that's the point here. So God has given you all these things to serve as the launch point towards fruitfulness. You have deep, healthy roots and a strong stem or or trunk right that you're attached to but you're not to just be attached to it 
like a, a dead branch. You're, you have a part to play in this. And fruitfulness comes by our diligence to produce virtue and so on out of faith. Notice what the verse says. Verse 8, for if these things be in you and abound. We need to concern ourselves then with these things and what they are. We already pointed out that these things refer especially to verse 5, 6, and 7. Notice that the fifth verse begins with giving all diligence. Giving all diligence. That is your work. You must give all diligence. Not sitting back and saying, well, you know, the Lord's just not working in my life right now. What do I do? Sometimes He does, sometimes He doesn't. No, 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 no. You're digging into the Word of God. You're pleading with God. You're praying. You're pouring out your heart to Him. You're, you're seeking Him in the Word. Seeking to know Him. But also, you are seeking to see these things added to your faith. All the things that are listed here. To see this really fruitfulness from your faith. Because you notice that faith itself is the foundation of all of these things. It's as if God has provided you with the field, the seed, and all the tools necessary for fruitfulness. The only thing that you have to provide is your diligent labor with those tools. Right? But if God's given you a really... And and there's something beautiful about a barn. Is there not a clean, well-maintained barn? I, I love seeing them. I like looking at barns. Big red barn with the white trim. Oh. And a beautiful field. Big. Can plant lots of good dirt in there. Good soil. And good seed. Right? And the poor guy is just as poverty stricken as ever. Year after year after year. And he says, what good is this land? What good is this barn? What good is this seed? It's not doing anything for me. Right? And you say, idiot, you're supposed to go plant the seed and tend the seed. Water the seed to see it grow. That's the point here. The verse says, add to your faith virtue and so on. Now this adding to literally has the idea that the later one is produced out of the earlier one. Uh, Vincent explains that to develop one virtue in the exercise of another. So that as I exercise my faith, what is produced out of that is virtue. And as I exercise virtue, what is produced out of that is knowledge. And so on down the line. That's the idea here. In fact, the word for add to comes from a Greek word that is used um, of the leader of the chorus. In in a Greek tragedy, the chorus uh, was... Kind of, they, they stood in the background and they kind of in unison 
would announce the next scene or, or serve like a narrator. And the director of the play had to pay the chorus. He had to supply the chorus's need. He was responsible to supply for them. So then faith supplies virtue. Virtue, knowledge, and so forth. Virtue is produced then in faith. Knowledge is produced in virtue and so forth. So the one springs from the other. Now the pulpit commentary points out that the fruits of faith are in the faith which produces them as a tree is in its seed. They must be developed out of faith as faith expands and energizes. In the exercise of each grace, a fresh grace must issue forth. So you have, I have fruit trees in my yard and those fruit trees and they grow the fruit. There's a seed inside that fruit. I can take that fruit and this is what God's plan is. I can take that fruit, I can de-seed it, and I can plant that seed, and I can tend that seed, and it will grow also into a fruit tree, which will also give me fruit. And that's the idea here, what what Peter is talking about here in this passage. As we're diligent to exercise faith, virtue is produced. As we diligently strive to be virtuous, knowledge is produced, and so on. All right, hopefully that's clear to you. Now, faith is a starting point, as I pointed out already. Faith is what God gave you. Faith is a gift of God. He gives us faith, and from that initial seed, all of this fruitfulness comes forth here. So, the first thing that grows out of faith is virtue. Um, we've already stated this, um, and really uh, faith is assumed to be in place due to the fact that His divine power uh, has given unto us all things that pertain to life and godliness. So so everything that we read in verses 3 and 4 that are talking about our position in Jesus Christ uh, and the new life that He's created in us, produced in us, that's the starting point. And out of that faith, we develop godly virtue. And virtue refers to not just a passive goodness. You know that there are those people that, um, at least in storybooks, that just are virtue soaked, right? Virtue saturated. I always jokingly refer to Ace Virtueson. Uh, If you're familiar with ACE, you know all about Ace Virtueson, the boy who could never do anything wrong. Who always, on the playground, the other boys would all lose their temper and he would always say something smug and pious as if there's nothing wrong with that, right? Um, he was always the virtuous one. Just had this passive virtue about him. Just this, this oozing, seeping goodness about him. He was so good, he was horrid. I think, um, I think uh, Saki said that one time that, that the little girl was so good, she was horrid, absolutely horrid. But that's not what virtue is talking about. Virtue actually is talking about moral power, energy, vigor of soul. Christians are to exhibit virtue or energy, one commentary said, in the exercise of their faith, translating into vigorous action. 
And the exercise of virtue then is produced knowledge, practical discrimination of good and evil, intelligent appreciation of what is the will of God in each detail of practice. We strive to gain more discretion, a right understanding, practical knowledge gained in the manly, self-denying activities of the Christian life. So there's this knowledge. So first virtue, the power to do what we ought to do. And that power, out of that power, a determination to do what is right grows knowledge, discernment, the ability to recognize what I should do, what I shouldn't do. And out of knowledge then comes temperance or self-control so that it's more than just knowing what I ought to do, but is also an ability to control myself, to make myself do it, to make myself do what I ought to do, to prevent myself from doing what I should not do. The word temperance or self-control means holding the passions and desires in hand. It was used of the virtue of one who masters his desires, masters his passions, especially his sensual appetites. Incontinence is an old word for self-indulgence. Incontinence, someone said, weakens the mind. Continence or self-control moves weakness and imparts strength. It makes you strong. Listen, this is a simple thing. Making yourself get up in the morning. Making yourself eat right. Making yourself exercise. Disciplining yourself with your money. And so on. Those kinds of things build you and make you stronger. And they grow out of Knowledge. Then comes temperance. Temperance is the fruit of that knowledge. We grow in our knowledge and understanding. Then we grow in our self-control. And in this temperance, the Christian then also learns patience. Patience. Someone defined as the heroic, brave patience with which a Christian not only bears, but contends. Not just stoical endurance, not just taking the whipping, all right? <clears throat> but a patience that comes from trusting God with your circumstances, with the situation, to remain under trials and testings in a way that honors God, to buck up, to bear up. By learning to submit our will to the, to the will of God, we also then develop reverence and piety towards God. Godliness refers to a high view of God. Vincent defines godliness as worship rightly directed. It's the holy awe of God that produces a worthy walk. Giving God his rightful place in my life. And saying that God is God and there is none else. And then walking worthy of the Lord we worship. 
out of this godliness, this right view of God that affects our manner of life, comes brotherly kindness. A high view of God leads to a high view of one another. Now, that high view, of course, has to be in perspective. The the perspective is that that person right there is a sinner, hopefully saved by grace, same as me. If I can believe that I have any standing with God whatsoever, then I should believe the same about Him. If I believe that I myself have been made in the image of God and that that image is what gives me value, then I believe that He also has value as one who is made in the image of God, created in His image. That's brotherly kindness. A high regard for one another. Courtesy. Let each esteem other better than themselves. In honor, preferring one another. And of course, the capstone of all this is love. Love is the the final product, the final fruit here. Love, agape love, charity. Charity is um, is actually the uh, 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 um, the Greek word charitas is the word for grace. So it is love that is given as a gift of grace. It's love that's given graciously. That's given. giving, Self-giving love. For the good of the other. With no thought of the benefit that I can have from it. And the Bible says if these things be in you and abound, they make you that ye shall neither be barren nor unfruitful. That's what the Bible says. So the way that you become fruitful and your role in this fruitfulness is by working diligently to see faith grow into virtue and virtue into knowledge and knowledge into um, temperance and temperance into patience and patience into brotherly kindness and brotherly kindness into, into did I miss godliness godliness and then brotherly kindness and then love charity right Working diligently to see these things produced in your life. Looking for evidence of these things. And when you don't see the evidence of these things, redoubling your efforts on those things. Making it a matter of prayer. Reading your Bible, studying your Bible on these things to see this happening in your life. And the result of that is, God says, if these things be in you and abound, they make you that ye shall neither be barren nor unfruitful. That's God's promise. That's God's assurance to you. So then our... So many things, and I I don't know if it's just me after 20-some years, and I feel like, you know, what an idiot. How did I miss this for all these years? But when we went through the the, um, armor of God, I saw the same thing. That really, our success in the Christian life comes to a constant referring back to God, ensuring that my relationship with Him is is right and what it ought to be, and then working to see God and His work progressing in my life. And that's what produces fruitfulness. Now here's a third point. Fruitfulness is a sure possession. As our text says, if these things be in you and abound. The word be, these things be, be in you. The word be is a very definite form of be. 
It's not the usual Greek verb of being that's used here. The, the word is more definite and refers to existing or subsisting. Literally, it means that if these things exist in you, if you have them, and you will not be barren nor unfruitful. Now that makes it even more clear why we need to make our calling and election sure. But it also encourages us because we know that by God's grace we are assured, by His promise we are assured that we have these things. We need to improve them. That's the point. You've been given, kind of like the guy who's given a big, big field and a beautiful barn and you know, seeds. There are certain kinds of seeds. They're like heirloom seeds. They last and last and last. And when you harvest the fruit, you can take the seeds from that and keep planting it. Now, my wife is, as you know, an incredible gardener, and she knows how to do all that stuff and impresses me. Like each year, you know, she hardly spent any on the corn, and we got all this corn, and, and we get more and so on. That's, that's what we're talking about here. Just taking what you've been given, the tools and the powers that you've been given, and putting them to work to see fruitfulness in your life. <clears throat> so it makes it clear, it encourages us, tells us what to do to improve these things that we've been given, because God, is, God has given us the working capital for it already. All right? If you are going to, you know, invest to make yourself a millionaire, all right, and you are given to start with, like the seed money, the capital to start with, you're given a hundred thousand dollars. You've got a pretty solid chance if you invest wisely and diligently to make that million, to get up there. A much better chance than a guy who starts with a thousand bucks, right? That's what we're saying here. Now the if here, if these things be in you, if has the idea that since these things, so it's a definite thing, it's pointing to this reality here. Since these things are in you, you will not be barren or unfruitful. Now I know this is repetitive, but I mean, I'm 52 years old now. I get to repeat myself. I think you live a certain amount of time and you earn the right to just repeat yourself over and over and repeat yourself over and over and repeat. Anyway, <clears throat> half of you are asleep. It's really warm in here and so I'm excusing you. But hang with me here. If you are in Christ, you cannot be barren or unfruitful. You cannot be. That's the meaning of fruitfulness. That as we diligently do our part, these things will be in us. I exercise the graces that God has given me, and I will then be fruitful. It is a sure possession. As surely as we are partakers of the divine nature. It is a personal possession. These things are in you. <clears throat> it is an abundant possession. As these things abound in us, they overflow in fruitfulness. As you remember, fruit, the fruit of the tree is the overflow. It's the excess. It, 
It means the tree is healthy. It has more food than what it needs to survive. That's why it's fruitful. So look, I said this last week, I'll say it again. If your devotional life is like survival mode, okay? I say, if your devotional life resembles in any way the way I swim, okay, I call it the survival, survival stroke, right? Because I swim like a man who's afraid of drowning. Okay, if you swim like that, if you read your Bible like that, there's, the fruit will be poor at best. Because the fruit comes out of the abundance, the overflow, God supplying your need, and then some. If you only read for what you need, all right, <clears throat> the um, Japanese in their prison camps were expert at calculating exactly how many calories you needed to be able to live. And they gave you exactly that. Now, if that's the way you're eating, feeding on the Word of God in your devotions, don't look for a lot of fruit to come from that. Fruit is the abundance, the extra, and God is always giving us more than what we need, right? Now, my God shall supply all your needs according to His riches in glory in Christ Jesus. And so on. He says that about grace as well, does He not? Now, my grace is sufficient for thee. He says, so then fruit is a sure possession. God has promised that we will not be barren nor unfruitful. Fourthly, fruitfulness is a gracious promise. Our text says that if these things be in you and abound, they hear that they make you that ye shall neither be barren nor unfruitful. They make you that that's our gracious assurance. Since this is the case, we ought to give the more earnest heed. Be diligent to add these things, as verse 10 says it. Give diligence to make your calling and election sure. Again, I know I'm repeating myself, but <clears throat> we strive to do everything God says, knowing that it'll turn out right. It doesn't always seem like that. You go to the Word to enjoy God in the Word, and you don't always feel like you're really enjoying this. And yet, and sometimes, do you not get bogged down, mired in your devotional time? In your prayer life? But you fight through it. Because you know that that effort is being blessed. It's being blessed. There are certain things that we do in life, like climbing a, um, climbing a sand dune, where you feel like you're losing ground every time you step, right? Like you're not getting anywhere. But then there are other things where you feel like you've got like an extra spring, right? And every step, you're getting bonus out of every step. And I'm saying to you that even in the struggles of the Christian life, you're getting bonus traction. God is boosting you in this by His grace. And since this is the case... We ought to give the more earnest heed, as the verse says it. Be diligent to add these things. <clears throat> God has guaranteed the product. Guaranteed it. So we go to work. And as we do, let the inward man 
always be the focus. All of these things, faith, virtue, knowledge, temperance, all of them have to do with the inward man. Give attention to that. Now, the inward man is exercised outwardly. In other words, we don't just sit around being godly. Okay? That's the kind of thing that we would rightly say is so good, he's horrid. Get to work. That strengthens the inward man. Get to work. You won't be a better wrestler by watching wrestling videos. You watch certain wrestlers, they make the moves look really easy. Then you try the move on your neighbor, and it's not so easy, right? <clears throat> you have to get to the mat, and you got to work. you got to put the work in, drill over and over and over and over. But our focus has to be inward first, not on the appearance of virtue and temperance, but on the reality of it. Do those things that strengthen the inward man. Let the inward man be renewed day by day so that although the outward man may perish, still we will be fruitful in the end. Final point. Fruitfulness is productive in the life of the Christian. Our text says it. They make you that ye shall neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. So that in particular is the fruitfulness in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. When we are fruitful in every good work, the fruit that will be produced is a full experiential knowledge. All right, now I'll tell you something that um, I have been for a little while now studying some things about stock trading, okay? It's fairly complex. I'm not going to try to explain it to you. I'm trying to learn how this functions and how it works. And so I've watched these educational videos, tutorials with it, all right? And then I take the quiz and I pass the quiz. And that's a good thing. And then they want you to do paper trading. Okay, so paper trading, that's where you get an account and they give you $100,000 in play money. And then you do the things that you've been learning about and you put it in there. And then I have no idea what happens. I do it and I'm looking at it. So what am I looking at? I don't should I be selling? Should I be buying? Should I be, what am I doing here? And it's a good thing as play money, right? It's a good thing they gave me 100000 because I burned through already about 20000 of it by, I don't know what I did, honestly. I just know it's not there anymore, and it was there before. <clears throat> All right, so this is what I'm trying to describe to you. It's one thing to read about it. It's one thing to listen to the preaching, the preacher talk about it, right? But until you do it, you don't really know what you're doing. So you can come into church and you can listen sermon after sermon, week after week, and then you can go live your life the way that you were and you won't be fruitful. Fruitfulness is in that full experiential knowledge where somebody has been there 
done that, has a few t-shirts to prove it, like, like my collection of camp t-shirts. Prove that I've been to multiple camps over many, many years. All right? That's what the Bible is saying, that this fruitfulness is in a mature understanding of these things. I can watch a YouTube video that will show me how to fix the electricity in my house. Okay, but I can tell you, I'm scared to death of it. The electricity, not the YouTube video. The electricity. Because it's a mystery to me. I know that there is excessive power in that little black wire. I know I don't want to just grab that thing. All right? But I don't really understand it. Now, an electrician walks in and he grabs this and clips this and moves this out of the way. And, oh, yeah, did someone turn the power off? Maybe we should do that. Sometimes. Sometimes he just goes at it. Because he has experience with it. He knows what he's doing. That's what God is promising you. This kind of Christian maturity that's not startled or shaken by battles that come that you weren't expecting is prepared for it the way a sailor, a seasoned sailor, is prepared when a sudden storm comes up. He's prepared not because he saw the storm coming and he got ready. He's prepared because he's been in storms before many times and he knows what he's looking at with that. That's the fruitfulness here. We come to know God more fully. Our efforts produce a technical knowledge. They produce an increasing knowledge, a growing knowledge. They produce a practical knowledge that includes the ability to discern between right and wrong, good and evil, to know what I ought to do. In those circumstances, when you're looking at it and saying, I I don't know which way is the right way here. An intelligent understanding of God and that produces really an appreciation for his goodness. The ability to know what God wants from me in any given situation. And a personal knowledge that we know God personally, like we feel like we're in a relationship with him, not just because the preacher tells us we are. As we obey God and do his will, we know him more fully. John, Jesus said in John chapter 7, if any man will do his will, he shall know of the doctrine, whether it be of God or whether I speak of myself. And Paul in Colossians 1 and verse 10 said, that ye might walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. Now, <clears throat> it could be that you're hoping that fruitfulness would mean something different than what I'm describing to you. We are that way, right? We like the sensational. I want lots of notches in my soul-winning belt, right? So I got bad news for you. Bad news is good news. This is what God is talking about here. This is the fruitfulness that he's saying. You'll know God more closely, more personally. And if that's not what you want, then that's why you're barren and unfruitful, honestly. What better result could there be than 
a true knowledge and understanding of God that gives me confidence in the face of the storm. None of your personal successes will count for anything in the last day. You know that? When God plays the video, this, will, this was your life, it's not going to be like five-star moments that he's going to project up there. All right? I'm not even convinced that he's going to play that movie at all. I, for one thing, God doesn't need the movie to rehearse it with you, and I think that he'll bring to mind the things that he needs to bring to mind. They don't count for anything when you stand before God. It's not like, you know, you didn't do a whole lot in your life. You didn't have a whole lot of success. We're going to put you in the alley. This guy over here, though, we're putting him on the boulevard. Right? That's not how it's going to work, folks. If he is precious to you, that's priceless. If he is precious to you. Now, we can't be fruitful in every good work if we're idle. We have to get experience. And some have stepped out and are doing nothing, always diminishing, always less and less in the work of the Lord. And if that's the case, it's not a shock if you wither as a result. Be fruitful in every good work. So let's get to work doing God's